Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? Quite well, Scott. How are you? How was your weekend? It was wonderful. Got lots of family time in, got lots of gardening in, right? Got outside, had a little flower contest with two of my kids. That'll be fun to see how it turns out. You mean like baking flour or growing flowers? Oh, no, uh, growing flowers. Got it. There's a hundred bucks on who? between Gracie and Ben, who can uh, raise the the most beautiful raised flower garden? Wow. I mean, that's better than you get at a flower show. That's pretty good. <laughs> Having a good year, aren't you? Hey, we don't mess around. <laughs> What'd you do? So I celebrated National Supply Chain Day. I feel like, Scott, there ought to be there ought to be a determination that we celebrated on Friday or Monday when it's on the weekend. But as this is the very first time that National Supply Chain Day has been on the weekend, I understand that the that the administration has not stepped in to define the policy. Right. But I feel like we should we should appeal to them to do so. I completely agree. Completely agree. And a big shout out, folks. Uh, we, we celebrate, we all celebrate over the weekend uh, to Mary Kate Love, who is the official founder. A lot of folks will claim this, that, and the other, but Greg and I were with Mary Kate Love when she filed all the necessary stuff back in uh, 2020, Greg. I think it was. Yeah. The U.S. I mean, officially filed with the U.S. government. It is officially National Supply Chain Day. And I wish there was there was a gentleman on our on our comments that said every day is supply chain day. And we we subscribe to that, too. But having one day out of the year, we really celebrate the workforce and all the things that make uh, the supply chain ecosystem happen uh, here in the States and really globally. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff. Yeah. And it's a good thing. It was on a Saturday too, because <laughs> we can't have people going to the beach and drinking beer all day. If a national <laughs> supply chain day is during the week, right? right? That is right. I love how you think. It'd be hilarious. Whole supply chain took that day off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I want to, so folks today, if you're tuned in, as you may know, it's the supply chain buzz, a live show that comes at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. As always, Greg and I, we're going to be discussing a variety of news and developments really across global business, but a ton of supply chain baked in, as y'all know, and we want to hear from you. So give us your take in the comments. We see some folks already weighing in. Uh, we're going to recognize a few of those folks and Greg, if folks are listening to the podcast replay, what all they might do. Ought they might do. That's probably uh, poor English. That was that was like a I think there was an extra word in there, but I can't figure <laughs> out which one. They might, well, what they ought to do, they ought to go to YouTube because uh, there you get to also watch us. And this is a thing. I, you know, Scott and I, folks, if you haven't uh haven't noticed this, probably many of you have, but it's become quite the thing that we've been doing now for four years for people to allow you to watch them do what is effectively a podcast. Now, we do it live. Some do it live, some don't. Um, and almost nobody involves their audience the way Scott Luke. Ah, thank you for that, Greg. It's become quite the thing on YouTube. Uh, I'd have to double check the numbers with Catherine, um, our beloved 
and a very bold producer who told us something like 70% of podcasts are consumed on YouTube. And based on the numbers that we're getting, what did we have? Like 169,000 views in a month or something like that, or a week? I don't well, know. As a, so I think you're right, man. You got you got a mind for the number. I think as a channel, but what I've seen here recently, as 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 you know, we continue to credit code and reach more folks, is I looked at I think six of our most popular episodes in the last thirty days or so, and Greg, we were averaging seven thousand views on each of those shows, uh, and that still might be conservative too. So, Greg, to your point, come check us out on YouTube, right? Oh Lord, the word world has found us, so now we have to act like upright citizens. But you always <laughs> well, do, so that's right. You're good. Upstanding. We might, have to, might have to cancel a few of our own old episodes. <laughs> nah. <The show's> stopped. <laughs> nah. But hey, if you're listening to the audio podcast replay of today's Supply Chain Buzz, come check us out. Live show. We'd love to incorporate you into the conversation, just like we're about to do. Um, all right. So, Greg, before I get into some of the program mm-hmm. notes, to your point, let's say hello to a few folks that are tuned in from Syed. Uh, I wonder where he is tuned in from. Let us know where you're tuned in from. We love to connect those dots there. Uh, NEO, Dr. Actually, actually, I should say Dr. Velasco. Say that right, Greg? Yeah, sounds right. From Boston. Uh, hey, you're, if you're an NBA fan, your Celtics just put it on our Atlanta Hawks, and Celtics are going to be a tough team to beat in the M- NBA championships, ain't they, Greg? Sure. <laughs> okay. No, I have to confess, not much of an NBA <laughs> Our dear friend, Josh Goody, tuned in from the West Coast, uh, from Seattle, of course. He's our Seattle correspondent. He says he's recovering from an 80-degree weekend. Greg, wow, is that uncommon out there? Yeah, this time of year definitely is. Uh, it happens occasionally. I, well, the question is, Josh, did the sun come out, and did you get to see how beautifully green the entire area is? Uh, when the sun is out there, which seems to be rare, um, it is just an, a beautiful scene. Josh, we we gotta have pictures. We gotta have pictures, and we're gonna share them on the buzz. So give us pictures of the scene out there, especially on the pretty days. Uh, Michael, good morning from Southern California. Michael, great to see you here. Uh, Angela from North Kakalaki. Angela, I hope this finds you well. I think of barbecue, Greg. When I think of North Carolina, my mind great goes straight to barbecue. You ever had a good barbecue in North Carolina? No, East Side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the mustard kind. Mm. And I don't like the kind of oily kind. And okay. you know, there's this whole big dispute in North Carolina from east to west. I can't remember which is which. but I, And it's not that it's bad. It just right. doesn't fit my taste. I'm from the Midwest. I'm used to not having sauce. Now now we are allowed to have sauce, but you got your hand slapped if you wanted sauce when <laughs> I was a kid. That's a rub. You don't need sauce. <laughs> So Angela, weigh in if you're a bar, if yeah. you're a fellow barbecue uh, yeah, let's connoisseur. Know which way it go, which what's the type on the east and what's the type on the west? <laughs> That's right. Uh, Muhammad is tuned in from Egypt, land of vegetables and fruits. I love that picture you're painting, Muhammad. Uh, and let us know where in Egypt, what city that you're in. My youngest daughter was just in Egypt. Oh, that's right. Uh, I think Vicky was telling me about all of her travels, all the countries. Yeah, she's been went to before. Egypt and Turkey for spring break because she's going to school in Switzerland this Man. summer. Ogun Tayo, great to see you here via LinkedIn from Toronto. Uh, and I love those. You, you are highly credentialed, uh, my friend. Love to know what you're up to up there in Toronto. Uh, Francisco says, in Brazil, it's also Supply Chain Day. There we so, go. Francisco, let us know if it's, a, if it's a true holiday or if you're referring to how it's Supply Chain 
day, every day. And let us know where in Brazil you're, you're tuning yeah. from. Yeah. What city, right? Uh, our good friend, Jose Montoya, who does great work. Um, he's based out there in California, but hosts an international show, a global show with, with co-hosts around the world. Great to see you, Jose. Never have to ask him what the weather is because it's always the same, <laughs> except in June when it's foggy till noon from the rain inversion and then it clears up. Ah, Jose, fill us in. Fill us Meteorologist in, in San Diego has got to be the easiest job on the planet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 73 and sunny. Fauna. <laughs> Fauna is tuned in. What up? What up? He says from South Africa. Uh, headed your way in June. Uh, Fauna. So great to have you here. Melanie tuned in from New Hampshire. Uh, let's see here. Um, Muhammad is Ismaila close. That's the city in, in Egypt. Uh, okay. he's in. I'm not for that familiar. So, well, great, uh, great to have you tuned in. We'll ask Ashlyn. She can tell us. Yeah, that's right. She said everybody was super friendly there. Really? They would walk down the street and say, welcome. Man. Uh, well, I want to get out there soon. And then finally, Bruce Taylor, who's a little bit closer to us, uh, coming in, uh, tuned in from Savannah. What a gorgeous city in Savannah, GA. Just over my shoulder over here. That's right. <laughs> we got to get that index. Uh, I said, finally, T-squared coming in right under the gun. Good May Day, folks. He says, bring on that nourishment and T-shirtisms on this SCN Monday. Great to yeah. see T-squared. All right. So, Greg. We uh, got a ton of good stuff to get into. Let me pull up uh, our first graphic. Yeah. Before we do, mm. we want to share a few learning opportunities for folks out there, right? So if you enjoy what we do here on The Buzz, you're going to love our webinars and some of our other live streams. So coming up tomorrow, Greg, we, talk, we were talking about this pre-show. Mm -hmm. We are going to dive deep into the domestic freight market, right, as we cover U.S. Bank's freight payment index for first quarter 2023. So, and so you see there, if you're viewing us, you got Bobby Holland, who's going to bring really the data side, right? He's with U.S. Bank. He compiles the reports. But then we love marrying up his perspective, Greg, with Michelle Moore, who leads supply chain with GAF, right? So she she's out and, and who are her and her team are out in the markets. And we're going to get her with using this thing. And yeah, that's right. Finding out what they can find out. Yes, and we're going to see what she agrees with and what she's seeing, what she maybe disagrees with as well. So join us tomorrow at 12 noon Eastern time as we talk freight, freight, freight. Greg, your thoughts here? I love the new format. I mean, the way that we're doing it now really lets you explore how Michelle and her team are using it, what they're seeing on the ground. We get through the, hey, why is the data you know valid for those that are new watching the show really quick and yep. get into why the data is what it is, which Bobby can help us with a lot, and then what to do with and about that. That's right. That is right. Uh, so join us tomorrow at 12 noon Eastern time. It's a quarterly show we have, and I tell you, it creeps up on us each time. It's time just flying past, right? Yeah, like it happens it's every three months. Uh, it's like that old saying uh, that gets me sentimental sometimes. The days are long, but the years are short. If you're a parent, you can relate, right? Um, all right. Francisco, uh, to close that loop there, he's in Sao Paulo. Yeah, he's in Sao Paulo, uh, and it's the Labor Day holiday there in Brazil. But he that's the supply chain day, as he calls it. I agree I like with you, it. Francisco. I like that. Call it whatever you want. Angela, <laughs> Angela's weighing in the barbecue. Uh, she says Eastern style versus Kentucky style. Eastern. I said oil. It's vinegar based, right? Yes. 
Eastern is vinegar-based, while Kentucky or the Western style is more sweet and tomato-flavored. Hey, sign me up for all of it, Angela. Sign me up for all of it. Uh, and and finally, we're talking weather in Seattle. Josh says summer here is about two and a half months of combined sunshine, but he thought the apocalypse had come when the temperature popped a hundred for a week straight last year. <laughs> as long as there's no zombies, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> all right, back to back to programming. So uh, so again, mm-hmm. join us tomorrow, folks. And then uh, so over the weekend, we dropped the latest uh, edition of With That Said, and. This is one of my recent favorites. We uh, dove into a couple things near and dear to our heart. Number one, Donna Krejci, who celebrated 50 years in the workforce, including a couple decades at CNN. We shared some of her good stuff. And then we mm-hmm. also tackled some of our favorite episodes related to our supply chain leadership across Africa series that we do with Jenny Froome and our friends there. So, uh, Greg, did you get a chance to dive into the latest edition? Dive? No, I kind of skimmed the surface of it. <laughs> okay. But I didn't belly flop, so that's good. <laughs> and we're trying, you know, so Donna, well, big shout out to Catherine, the man behind the scenes, helping make things happen. Chantel, uh, Donna is one of our um, executive producers here, right? Really leveraging all that experience in the, in the broadcast industry. And she shared, she celebrated 50 years in the workforce this week. And she did a great write-up last week of our, her critical lessons learned. And we're trying to get her on a show too, aren't we, Greg? Yeah. Get her to share direct, right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Hopefully this Wednesday with, uh, the great Mike Griswold from Gartner. Fingers crossed. Hey, I have a question. How can people sign up for that? I love that question, Greg. It's as simple as clicking on this link that we just yeah. dropped in the uh, chat. And if y'all are familiar with LinkedIn newsletters, there's a little subscribe button up at the top, one click, and you get it, whether you like it or not, <laughs> every week. Every Saturday. As I understand it, both to your LinkedIn profile, but also it hits your email in case that's where you prefer to get your newsletters. So y'all check that out. Um, all right. So Greg, one other thing, one other quick thing that uh, yeah. we put in the newsletter. So my dear friend, Chuck Baker, Chuck Baker, fellow veteran, although he spent, I think, 20 with the Army. I've known him for, for probably 15 years. He is very passionate about developing, spreading awareness for business and leadership and supply chain. And he's been doing a lot of that work in middle school and high schools in South Carolina, Greg with something that they call the cell phone game. And he is ready to expand it and help other folks hmm. you know, get into their schools and talk supply chain. So if you're interested in that, and he's one heck of a guy, salt of the earth. If you're interested, reach out to our team here, and we'll make that connection with Chuck. I, I can personally vouch for his great work uh, as a practitioner. He spent a lot of, a lot of time in the um, tire industry, I believe, Greg. But anyway, Chuck Baker is a good person. Greg, you and I have done a little bit of that before, too. Yeah, that was fun. Um, we did that. You, you set that up. And I think, I think somebody from South Carolina adopted it also. And they, they did it. I don't know if they're still doing it, but they did it for a while, but it was a great program. Honestly, I think those of us who are practitioners think of this thing as so complex Mm. as to be impossible to explain. But when you have to explain it to people with no context, not only of supply chain, but business, it really forces you to think about what's important about what we do which is mostly getting stuff to another place for the person who wants it. Right. So true. That's right. Um, it's just, I mean, it really is as simple as that. And didn't we discover a young man who discovered that his dad was in supply chain by us explaining that, yeah. uh, that was that school in East Cobb. I remember, I cannot remember the kid's name, but I remember his face. <laughs> he was a fireball. Right. I'm like, 
we need more of that kid. And you're so right. And the man to see these light bulbs go off and folks, uh, these kids, they don't need three hours of explaining. They get it like that to Greg's point and they had Eureka moments and they're connecting the dots. I mean, it's amazing. You'll feel a lot better if you get in your schools and talk supply chain uh, or, or really just engage students and share anything. Yeah. You'll see what we're talking about. We'll feel really good about the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let's get into speaking of supply chain. we got uh, three or four stories here today. Mm-hmm. Our dear friend, Mark, moving stuff to where it needs to be. Sounds simple. Greg always makes things sound simple. And um, melodic. Yeah, there's 1,100 steps in there, but you know, <laughs> to explain what it is, you don't need to know all that. That's right. That is right. All right. So we're going to dive, Greg, into our first story here today. So I'm going to get into an update on the ongoing Bed Bath & Beyond story, saga, whatever you call it. Um, so as reported here by CNBC, the retailer officially declared bankruptcy on Sunday, April 23rd. We all knew it was coming. Uh, hundreds of Bed Bath & Beyond stores are expected to be closed, uh, closing uh, across the country. As pointed out here in the article, just like Kmart and Sears did in recent years, and that how it created uh, some vacant uh, footprint and, and stores and space, offering that valuable real estate for other retailers that actually are growing and need more space. Greg, we're talking 500 locations if you include the Bye Bye Baby footprint uh, into the overall number. 500 stores are going to be open. Um, now demand for retail space is high as many folks here in our audience knows for a variety of reasons. A lot of retailers are flush with cash due to all that spending we all did during the pandemic. Physical stores are also serving as fulfillment centers, which we've touched on thousands and thousands of times Mm -hmm. and hybrid works popularity. I got to admit, I didn't think about this one Uh, with hybrid work and, and how popular it is now folks aren't going to stores, you know, first thing in the morning. And when they get off at five 30, they're in stores really all the time. So, Greg, would love to get your thoughts here on what we're seeing uh, with this Bed Bath & Beyond story and the opportunities that exist. Yeah, well, one, it took unbelievably inept management to destroy this company. Mm. And even then, it took them years to do so. They, they didn't realize that they had a business that was being disintermediated by e-commerce, mm. and they never got into e-commerce with any level of seriousness. And it just, that is what killed the company. And then they did stupid, stupid things like uh, like announce their problems to their vendors and then proceed to lose the trust of those vendors in a multitude of ways over a number of years. They changed management a couple different times and, ne- and no one ever really saw what the core problem was, which was we should close all these stores or many of these stores. And we should be an e-commerce business, right? Mm. Kind of like Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble, you, almost <laughs> 30 years ago, should have looked at Amazon and go, wow, they're making a pile. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> right. Sorry, Mr. Barnes. I didn't <laughs> get a company he was trying to start after that. Uh, anyway, um, but um, this is an incredible opportunity. I think it's inopportune timing however because if you look at what many of the pundits are saying they're expecting a commercial real estate collapse in any time this year probably in the second half third or fourth quarter and retail is not above that they're concerned about commercial buildings you know business high rises they're concerned about strip malls and if there are any actual real malls whatever you call just malls um you know obviously there's concern has been concern there for 
over a decade. So mm. I don't know what it means for that. It, it will probably mean that someone will get a bargain by subletting from the from whoever winds up owning all this stuff or the the liquidator or whomever. Yep. I am encouraged that Bed Bath and Beyond filed Chapter Eleven. I'm not certain with all of the you know um, capital and overhead that they've got that they won't wind up shutting down completely. Mm. I don't know. It's it's tough because they have incredibly terrible management, and it, I feel at once I feel uh, sorry for and like hopefully they've learned a great lesson for all these uh, apes, the hodlers. Mm. Right, that tried to prop this up during COVID, like they did AMC and mm. whatever the gaming company, both of which. Oh, GameStop. GameStop, right? Another company that should have gone completely online a mm. decade ago. But those people will have lost all their money by now because the stock is absolutely worthless at this point. So, Man. you know, these are the lessons that we need from time to time, and and it is. Um, I think it's comforting in this fact, Scott. You know, even though this has happened and this will happen more, there are probably 15 other retailers teetering on the edge. It took unbelievably inept management over the series of almost half a decade to destroy this company. So that should tell you, right, how much leeway you have as an operating manager of a retail enterprise, even with the tight margins that retail has, how much you can mess up. Uh, mess with one <laughs> before you find out. Put politely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's usually, and there has been frequently, hope. There, and there obviously is for other enterprises here. But Best Buy was at once, at one time, bankrupt. And they mm. came out of it just unbelievably transformed and became the, the source for electronics. And then they got hammered by the e-commerce space. And they adapted to that rapidly. Right. So if you have competent management, you can get through these things. Situations don't kill companies. Management mm. kills companies. Excellent. I appreciate your perspective there. Uh, two quick thoughts on the Best Buy thing. I'm not sure when the timing of this, but from what I've seen every time in the Best Buy, the line for Geek Squad is out the door. So when they picked that up and included that as part of the value prop to drive foot traffic, I can only yeah. imagine what that did. Uh, and then secondly, going back to what you said on the front end of your commentary there, supplier trust. Man, if you're not working yeah. to uh, invest in, increase, retain, build um, build trust with your suppliers as you, as you try to get through these tough times, you're missing out and you're creating risk, more risk. Uh, so a lot of good stuff there, Greg White. Um, all right. And Josh says, I'm part of that group for GameStop. Apes. <laughs> strong together, Greg, to the moon. <laughs> okay. Uh, and Jose. Oh, hey. Josh. I just thought <laughs> it was just only a tiny fraction of your portfolio. That's right. Uh, Jose, hey, give old Mark a ring. Uh, we're certainly happy to talk with him. Uh, and great to have you here today, as always, Jose. Um, okay. So, Greg, for the sake of time, we're going to dive into this next uh, story here. And this is an interesting one on a variety of levels. Um, so, one company probably, probably not buying former Bed Bath & Beyond stores, but who knows? Well, that would be Amazon. So as reported here by one of the best of business supply chain dive, Amazon is slowing its capital investment spend in 2023. Not stopping it, just slowing it, folks. Mm -hmm. um, as a company, the Big A looks to optimize its recently overhauled fulfillment operations. So here, this is interesting, great opportunity we have here. So Greg, some of our listeners 
most of them probably do, but some of our listeners may not know that you've worked closely with Amazon and some of your previous leadership roles. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts here. Yeah. So to give some context, I ran a company owned by another company that uh, provided an application to the um, teams that either refitted distribution centers and fulfillment centers to simplify the terminology because I've got like five terms for it for, for <laughs> Amazon when they were either being built or or being refitted. So so I have some insight here and they have ebbed and flowed in terms of how much they've done over the years. You know, Scott, it seems like we had this discussion a year or so ago that they were going to slow down. And even then they built, built like 200 facilities. Good point. Um, so I think slowing is relative when you talk about Amazon, but they obviously have recognized that people are going into stores more um, and, you know, and, and that they, you know, they don't need the fulfillment space. Um, what they have are called delivery stations that might be a good fit for some of these locations. It's been more typical for Amazon to build or to embed those into an industrial real estate complex. But if retail real estate space becomes more affordable, just imagine the leverage that Amazon could put on a space like that by making it effectively a store. You know they have a completely no-touch store system where basically you go through this matrix of cameras and you tap your card on the way in. You know They identify what you've taken from the shelf and you just walk out with it. Hmm. And you've paid. Man. So they've had that for probably six or seven years. And it, I saw a YouTube video about it. It's become so much more refined, obviously, in that time. Very interesting simplicity there. The simplicity that you just paint that picture. That is, uh, you know, we can't keep everything simple, but we can keep a lot of these things simple. Well, but, you know, and I'm not sure that Amazon would do that, but it would be an interesting transition for them because they know what the hot products are in kind of a circular service area around their delivery stations. And that's why they keep those products there. Yep. So imagine if instead of them shipping it to you, you could go pick it up and maybe they give you a better price for it that way, yep. right? Who knows? And, and it would be a logical transition because I think we are going back to more in-store uh, experiences. Yes. Oh, no doubt. Completely agree with you. And, uh, and I'm, I sure am thankful. As I shared last week, I think I'll never take for granted the ability to get out and shop or break bread or travel or whatever else yeah. with friends old and new. But speaking of, so as a Amazon customer, which I'm sure you, I'm sure you are as well, we talked about this. I'm also a new Costco customer. Now, oh, Vicki White is out there listening. If Vicki White, uh, Greg, <laughs> Vicki could be an onboarding consultant. Uh, I've met few people that know all the ins and outs like Vicky does about Costco, but it's really interesting because as we've pushed some of our spend to Costco, we've really enjoyed that, uh, saved a ton of money. I think for the most part, we're still doing the analysis, but Amazon, as, as I have stopped purchasing some of those things, right. That try to cut down on boxes and well, mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, it's interesting to see Amazon's response as it sends me, Hey, have you forgotten about this? I've forgotten about that. Man, it really just reemphasizes to me for the thousand millionth time, man, how well they know. Mm -hmm. They know their consumers, they know their preferences. And if you if you doubt that for a second, stop buying a few items that you normally do with Amazon and just observe. Greg, isn't that it's remarkable, really? It really is. I, I mean, 
to me, it seemed like such common sense, like even just the buy now button, which they patented. Right. And basically took away from anyone else to have the ability to have a one click buy. You know, it's one of those, duh, why didn't I think of that things? They, you know, they have, I don't know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people. They are constantly working on, on innovation, right? One, you know, their core, their core values are to break everything all the time, right? Um, and also be right a lot. That's <laughs> I like that one, Greg. R- lots of companies uh, disrupt themselves a lot. They don't remember to be right when they do it. They're a little mm. bit sloppy about it. Uh, Amazon, what is their superpower is that ability, really commitment to do it. And they're blessed, regardless of what you think about Jeff Bezos personally. Yeah. Um, and if you have any questions, ask his ex-wife. Um, <laughs> But oh boy. they are are blessed when he was CEO with a with a leader who was incredibly finance focused. He put the core metrics that the, that investors and good practitioners of business yep. require. He put those practices, those financial practices, in place. He used the metrics um, and extended those metrics. You know what cash flow ought to be. You know working capital, et cetera, et cetera, profit margins, all that sort of thing. He put those into place, and even while they were growing at an incredibly rapid pace, he insisted on those things. That doesn't mean they invested, didn't invest in innovation. As you know, they weren't profitable for almost 20 years, right? but they still had a lot of the core metrics in place so that when they reached a certain level of volume, they were super efficient. And that super efficiency is what has allowed them to accumulate the billions and billions, tens, almost $100 billion in cash. That allows them to do anything. Yes. You just gave us like an MBA lesson in two minutes there, Greg. Uh, I would just add, you know, Greg and I sat down with uh, one of the big A's big competitors that's making some gains, uh, mm-hmm. and that's Walmart. And we sat down with Jennifer McKeon. We've talked, mentioned it here a couple of times. We published it last week. If we can drop that link in the chat, uh, it's, it's really it's cool to see. Walmart pick up some of the, um, make some the gains it's been making here in, in recent months and, and last year or two. Still, though, the largest company in the entire world, Walmart. But isn't it funny how people have shifted to kind of pulling for Walmart right. against <laughs> Amazon, right? Right. Like they're the underdog uh, ever was right. or ever will be. I mean, that is also an enormously efficiently operated organization. Yes. And it ain't the Walmart it used to be. You know, no. I used ink intentionally, right? <laughs> it, you know, it's not just people coming down from the hills to buy sacks of sugar to make their shine. It It is that still in some places. But it, I mean, also, some of these stores are in incredibly posh areas. Right. Now. I mean, That's right. you see some of these Walmarts with parking lots full of Mercedes. Man. Not around my house, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, fortunately I can't add to its Mercedes count in the, uh, the parking lot yet. So, but anyway, uh, Hey, we just published, uh, we just dropped a link to the audio version of that interview. It's a quick, easy listen. Uh, y'all check that out. Um, let's see here. Uh, Rami, great to see you here. Let us know where you're tuned in from there via LinkedIn. Uh, and Josh says back to Amazon, Josh says Amazon paid three X of market evaluation or valuation for the company that pioneered that deals of the day. Greg, did you know that? Yeah, they they aren't afraid to pay. They aren't afraid to pay a premium because companies like that that acquire companies at a high premium, they all they know already 
where the opportunities are to squeeze more out of that company. And if you doubt that, if you'd like to see that dramatized, watch Succession sometime. Mm, yes. That's, man, right. folks, a little quick aside. Check out Succession or you're you are missing out. It's one of the best shows on TV. No spoilers. I'm two episodes behind, Scott, so okay. be careful. <laughs> I ain't going to say a word. In fact, I missed it last night because Amanda was uh, she was at a concert with our daughter. We'll touch uh-huh. on that later on, maybe. Um, okay. So, uh, let's see. We're, we're moving into the next story, Greg. Let's Man, do that. Talk about on a related note. This is a really interesting uh, report here. So, uh, I want to talk about uh, our friends at, what, at the Wall Street Journal and what they are reporting on here because investors are still pouring lots of money into logistics, tech, startups, ventures, you name it. Uh, and, Greg, three hot areas that are attracting investments, again, should be no surprise you know, for anyone in our audience, because these are things we, we've been talking about. I don't know. It feels like three decades. Uh, three of them, though. Supply chain visibility and management. Duh. Robotics. Duh. And 3D printing. Now, that's kind of an interesting one, right? Because we've been talking about 3D printing as well for feels like since uh, the gold rush of 49. But don't roll your eyes on th- when you hear 3D printing, because uh, I believe it's poised to, to make perhaps its biggest impact yet. In fact, in this article... 3D printing applications that make computer chip manufacturing easier, more reliable is mentioned. Now that, given wherever you know everything that chips are going into these days, mm-hmm. that would be a coup, It'd be a home run, a Hank Aaron home run. Uh, Greg, I'm dying to know you as an investor. You know, so you see that side as a supply chain practitioner, at just being the Greg White that I know and love. Your thoughts here on uh, the investment trends in this space. Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you, I don't roll my eyes at 3D printing. Where I roll my eyes is at supply chain visibility there. Mm. It means nothing anymore. Absolutely nothing. I mean, some of these companies are, they're just reporting houses. That aspect of, of the industry, we either need to find a new name or description for it or something, because companies that just provide you visibility to your supply chain, that's not new it's not helpful there are huge players in the market already who do that um, and supply chain visibility usually only means at least this has been my experience in evaluating hundreds of companies over the last few years it usually only means um, your goods in motion like mm. is it on a truck is it on a boat is it on a plane right is it at the bottom of the sea right <laughs> is it on the dock did it get lost right um, that kind of thing. So one, we need supply chain visibility throughout the supply chain. We need to start looking in inter enterprise to look at yes. where, our, where our, let's say, raw materials providers are or manufacturers are, or even um, interim warehouse facilities. And, you know, and, and, uh, and when I think of visibility, I think like, the, you know, we talk to chief supply chain officers all the time, Scott, and I think about what they're really concerned about is not just or even necessarily how are my goods in motion? You know, what's the state of them? But also, what is the state of my supply chain? Everyone mm. knows their supply chain is fragile, but they don't know where. So they know that the next black swan event or disruption or weather happening or geopolitical conflict is going to impact their supply chain. They don't know where, and they don't know to what measure. And that's really, really important. And it, that is still completely a blind spot 
for virtually every chief supply chain officer out there because so many solutions are segmented into various parts of the supply chain. And mostly we focus on logistics in motion. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities. 3D printing is one. I, I think um, w- when you think about where investment is going, what we're looking for is something that is breakthrough. You know, something that is truly breakthrough. We, When you're in investment, you get presented me too's or also rands all the time hmm. because the founders are new to the business or naive or sometimes they're practitioners new to technology they don't know what it takes i'm not pointing at anybody here but it right. happens frequently when people who are practitioners in an industry and not technician technologists in an industry come into the business they have a very narrow perspective so uh, i think though that this recent kind of economic upheaval with the banks has sort of filtered out the mediocre to poorly conceived companies. And we're starting to see more and more quality come to the top. But yeah, I, I think it's a great time to be investing in supply chain logistics, whatever you want to call it, the commerce ecosystem, as I call it, um, where where you're starting to connect enterprises and more than just tell them their supply chain is up, but tell them what they can do to fix it. Right? Yes. And Greg said fouled up in case y'all didn't yeah. hear that. Fouled I, up. Is my mic cut out. <laughs> Thank God for that five second play. I love that. I love hearing your, you know, since you are an investor and you've been there and done that kind of on both sides of the table, I, I guess I'll put it more simply. All three sides of the table. All three right? sides. I'm That's a right. Service provider, a practitioner, and an investor. And having all three of those perspectives is frankly a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I think it, well, I'll tell you, uh, it's a blessing to be collaborating and, and partnering with you here at supply chain now, because we benefit from it all the time. Uh, so Greg, I love that you are able to share with our global audience here, some of what maybe, um, you know, they don't always get uh, from you here. And that's the, the investor side and what you've seen and do in that space. Yeah, I would say if you're starting a technology company now, don't call it supply chain visibility. <laughs> That's golden advice. Call it the problem that it solves, right? Because I think what we need more is more prescriptive analytics, right? And not 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 uh, vis- visibility analytics. Don't just tell me that the supply chain is messed up. Tell me where, why, and how to fix it. Love it. Uh, Greg, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know what? We're going to have to crank back up on Tequila Sunrise because that's, that's what reminds me of some of those conversations you had there that were so popular and well-received. But we'll save that for that's another day. So much work, Scott. I know. I know. We're, we're going to make it easier. But, folks, that reminds me, kidding aside, if you if you love hearing from Greg on uh, some of those investment stories, some of those startup stories, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot more, all innovation, technology, you can still find all the episodes, Tequila Sunrise, wherever you get your podcast from. Some of that stuff is still pretty really relevant. I mean, you know, some of the guidance was how to pitch your company, some relation to what the environment is like, what investors are looking for. Yep. They know that you don't know that they know that you should not try to trick them because they know when you're trying <laughs> to trick them or, you know, snow, give them a snow job or whatever. Right. You know, and, and all kinds of, of that is is really true and that comes from being on both sides of that investment table too having pitched to investors and being now constantly pitched yep i bet times a day on linkedin <laughs> and um and you know and, and also reviewing uh 
pitch materials as well. Yep. All right. So go back on 3D printing. I'm going to share Josh's comment. Yeah, man. Uh, he says uh, there was a large push. This is Josh again for 3D printers from for home use during COVID. Home-based businesses, even labs, are using it for small gadgets. Robotics also made a huge push in the biotech during COVID. And people are happily looking around and realizing they can reorganize operations. Yes, not only can they, but they must, given what we're seeing uh, really across the workforce. The other cool thing about 3D printing that we we shared during the height of the pandemic, uh, the Veterans Administration, and I want to be kind here as a veteran, uh, there's lots of concerns about the Veterans Administration. I think that's pretty fair. But they were really on the forefront of of uh, putting innovation into practice with using 3D printing in, in its uh, operational footprint and printing masks that were needed for their facilities. Hey, that's that's, that's a great win. Yeah. But Greg, you were about to talk about, I think, robotics workforce. Uh, well, well and, and 3D printing. I mean, I think there are some amazing um, applications that should give us an idea. For one example is printing prosthetics. So if you can get a CAD drawing of a prosthetic, you can print it right in the office, right? Yeah. Rather than have to have it made and molded. And sh- so, so many of them are manually like shaped and that sort of thing. And the other is, um, and this is near and dear to my heart, for vintage cars, yeah. they're now printing the parts rather than trying to find them. Because if you go far enough back, you can't find, you can't find the oil pump for a Model A or a Model T. <laughs> Right. right. Uh, actually, you probably can for some of those cars, but for others, <laughs> know. You know, it, it becomes exceedingly difficult to do. So they're printing those kind of things. And, and you know, just think about those things that are hard to get. Yep. Um, or maybe you only need one off. Uh, and you would rather have it printed than wait or search the entire planet to try and f- find it in a junkyard. Yes. You know, it's it's really interesting about spare parts. Uh, we, we just knocked out a great live stream last uh, week or so about mm-hmm. spare parts and modern approaches. Y'all check that out. But to your point, Greg, and you are, of course, uh, a true auto enthusiast. I'm an, a casual observer. I know nothing about cars. But we all have repaired our vehicles, and we all know this, the, the spare part shortages that have added to um, uh, waiting times and lead times to getting your cars fixed. And those are really, po- those are really widespread models that, that everyone has mm-hmm. to Greg's point going back to a, a classic car where there might be just a couple thousand on the highways and byways, man, you might be searching junkyards near and far dealer networks forever to find certain parts. So to, so to your point, they have a 3d printer that you can load in some blueprints from, from the days gone by and have it spit out what you need, man, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And, and there are all kinds of applica- other applications that make sense for that. Yes. Um, that application, right? I think going back to, and, and, and I am not an engineer, and I'm certainly not a computer chip engineer. Y'all check out this. Uh, we dropped a link to this story that, that started this whole conversation. Y'all check that out because a big chunk of that is talking about 3D printing's application in the semiconductor industry. In fact, Intel made, uh, has made a, a sizable investment in a, in a startup. So y'all check that out. I can't wait till robots are using AI to run 3D printing machines <laughs> right. to make stuff, right? And we just sit around and wait for Amazon or Walmart or Shopify to deliver it. Yeah, maybe we'll get that website uh, that w- that was promised uh, by our federal government for so long ago. You know, that, that's part of the the supply chain act. Oh, I've totally forgotten about that. Yeah, my hunch is we haven't that hasn't been stood up yet, but I'll save that for another time. Um, okay. 
as we wrap here today on the bus and thanks for all the, well, I know we couldn't get everybody's comments here today. I want to do give a quick shout out to Kelvin tuned in from Zambia via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Kelvin. Um, I want to talk about the railroad industry. Um, so, you know, the railroad industry has been in, in the um, news, Greg, for a variety of reasons. Of course, a lot of it hasn't been good stuff. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at maybe railroads' biggest players globally. Now, so for a little context there, Greg, a couple facts that our audience should know, may already know, I don't know. Of course, here in the U.S., the railroad industry focuses more on freight, not passengers, as opposed to the rest of the world where passenger travel is big. And I'm not gonna, we're not going to touch on Amtrak here today. Of course, Amtrak is kind of a, a bit of a unique, uh, unique player. Um, the railroad industry is growing. So globally, it was valued at $660 million in 2018, Greg. Billion? Yeah. Uh, million. No, I'm sorry. Billion. My bad. Billion. And it's expected. Good, good catch. Kind of, a, kind of a big difference there. Uh, it's expected to reach $890 billion by 2025. Mm. How about that? So thanks to our friends at BizVibe, what we did is we pulled together uh, the largest railroad companies in the world by revenue, not market cap. Market cap look a lot different. Uh, y'all can check that out, but by revenue. So, Greg, how would you pronounce the top one there? It's based in Germany. Deutsche Bahn. Deutsche Bahn. German Railroad is what that means. That's right. And if I'm not mistaken, the Federal Republic of Germany is the largest shareholder, I think the only one in that business. So a little, little context there. Uh, it's the number one railroad company in the world by revenue, Indian Railways, East Japan Railway companies number three, Union mm. Pacific. Finally, uh, a U.S. Uh, uh, railroad is ranked. Of course, that's based in you know where, Greg? Oh, Union Pacific. I don't know where it's based. No, Nebraska. Really? I was kind of surprised with that. Yeah, Nebraska. So that's number four. Central Japan Railway Company is number five. CSX Transportation, based in Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken, comes number six. Norfolk Southern Railway, based here in Atlanta. And number neither north, well, I guess technically southern, right? Yes. <laughs> Although, if you ask somebody from South Georgia if Atlanta's in the south, they would say no, right? Good point, good point. Uh, and then to round out the list, Canadian National Railway, number seven, Canadian Pacific Railway, uh, number nine, and MTR, so MTR, Mass Transit Railway serving Hong Kong. So that okay. comes in number. 10. So, Greg. In revenue. That's in revenue. Yeah, in revenue. Not market cap, but in revenue. Look at the German railway. They're, yes. I mean, they're, they're 40% higher than, no, not 40%. Good God. They're like 67% higher Huge. than the next largest company. All these crazy. And to your point there, it's that's why it's, it's kind of tough to really stack these up in like a perfect oranges or apples, apples, oranges, oranges comparison. Right, yeah. because it's, it uh, railroading the approach kind of varies a little bit. Well, a lot from region to region, but even from country to country, you know. Uh, but it, I thought that it was really fascinating to kind of put this into perspective, um, you know. Because I don't know about you, I've never conducted or engineered a train, Greg, and and of course, smart railroading has been a fascinating thing to watch in recent years, and of course, the growth and the reliance um, that you know global supply chain has on railroading. Um, but Greg, get any, any other thoughts, observations? Have, have you ever engineered a train down the tracks? Uh, I have not, but uh, my <laughs> uncle worked for, uh, Santa Fe before it was Burlington, Northern Santa Fe. 
way back when I was a kid. And so I got to go on a caboose when they still had cabooses. I didn't get to do it while it was rolling, but I am just absolutely obsessed with trains. I'm one of the few people on the planet who, when you get stopped at a railroad crossing, doesn't curse that they're going to be late somewhere. I'm like counting cars. And, right. you know, I had a buddy in college. My college roommate could identify every engine. That's really? a GM electric. That's a GM diesel. And he'd like he'd be like, and it's an X five hundred three seven B. You call it the B because it's got two smokestacks in the front and one in the back, or something like. I don't know, man. But uh, which I wish I had had that skill. But yes. Um, it is a fascinating means of transport. Yes, it um, is. You know, it's different. I mean, and I don't think people in Europe understand why we don't use trains more here in the States, but it's because, you know, we fit a hundred, couple hundred million more people in a space that is bigger than the entire continent of Europe, right? Yep, yep. Closer to Australia. So, and, and you know, we have so many cities spread around is why we use it for, uh, you know, for goods transport right rather than people transport but i think i think we're coming around to it if you drive in atlanta much right um, <laughs> right uh, that's so true a train is starting to make more uh, more and more sense it's just that the cities are so vastly separated here and of course here we're in the piedmont of of the appalachian mountains so <laughs> I, I just would hate to see someone try to even <laughs> build rail between here and say, Oh gosh, Knoxville, right. Or something like that. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Me neither. Um, but you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, the train conductor and all that stuff. Uh, I always think whenever I think of the word conductor and I picture something in my mind, my buddy Chuck, who I went to school with, uh, Chuck, if you're listening, big old shout out to you. Uh, he told me one time, so where we stayed, where one of our apartments was, we had active rail lines just outside the back window. And Chuck said he was studying one day and has windows open. It was a nice fall day, maybe in South Carolina. And he saw the train come real slow and the conductor was out the window. So Chuck waves at him. Nice southerly thing to do. And the guy responds with the finger. <laughs> so he was having a rough day, maybe. But yeah. that that visual always comes to my mind. Maybe because they they were being forced to go slow. You just never know, right? You never know. You never know. Uh, hey, mom's is here today. Yeah, I saw that. She sounded off about her uncle. Yes. Uh, Leah Luton says, my uncle was a train engineer way back. We have to get some stories there, mom. You're holding out on us. Holding out on us. It, it was my uncle who who worked for Santa Fe, and uh, it was fun. We did this. We would do this like five times a, a summer. We would go visit my aunt, and she would drive him to work and we'd go every time he went to work, which was like four o'clock in the morning at the latest. But then you'd get to stand around the train yard and see it all happen. And it is just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It really is. It really is. Um, all right. So Greg, man, we've yes. had a wide ranging show here today. Uh, folks, we want to encourage you once again to come check out our live stream tomorrow, all about the freight market. Uh, in uh, across from coast to coast here in the states, Bobby Holland with U.S. Bank, Michelle Moore with GAF. That kicks off at twelve noon Eastern time. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg, as we wrap here today, what was what, so you shared a lot of great perspective and expertise, especially for founders, startup, of course for supply chain practitioners. But if there's one thing 
that you want to encourage people to take home, put into action, write in their diaries, if that's still a thing, what would that one thing be, Greg? Yeah, um, it would be to look up. That that would be, I mean, if you're reading the news or you're following pundits or whatever, there's all kinds of things happening. There's all kinds of current and potential struggles out there with the economy, with, well, mostly the economy right now. I mean, some of these things have kind of settled in, even the geopolitical disruptions, which is what we have to call wars now. Things mm-hmm. like that um, have kind of settled in, and that's a travesty, but it is not it is not at least right now a major disruption to most of the world but there are lots of things there that are pending right the, the consumer sentiment is way down um inflation is slowing which doesn't mm. mean it's low it just means it's not 11 percent anymore at least in the states <clears throat> um there you know there's talk of recession all over the world and i really feel for japan who it feels like has been in recession for almost 30 years now mm. but my suggestion is look up through all this look up there's opportunity all of this has happened before you know i say this a lot all of this has happened before and many many people have come out better the more conservative you are through these kind of times keep cash i don't mean under your mattress just available. <laughs> but in small chunks in in several banks so if the bank goes belly up you're not affected you know, keep cash, uh, watch your spending, um, you know, do what you have to and do spend some time to have some fun yeah. throughout these times. And, um, it'll feel kind of like you've earned that fun as, as the economy slows and as other impacts, recession, you know, commercial real estate struggles, all of that starts to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there is a way to both survive and yep. even benefit in these times if you're really, really prudent and conservative with your capital. Completely agree. What a great message. I don't know why that hit me today. I think, you know, no, I do know why it hit me. It's because um, uh, they were talking to um, Charlie Munger, who is, is Buffett's, Warren Buffett's business partner. And he said that commercial real estate is on the verge of collapse. So, I mean, he's a mean old geezer. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't make him wrong. Right, right, and, right. And, and he has seen it. He's 99 years old and wow. still as lucid as has ever been. And if anyone anyone went to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway um, shareholders meeting, which many people who aren't shareholders go to, uh, it's kind of the Super Bowl of finance. Uh, mm. Can we say Super Bowl on here? Super Bowl. Uh, you just did. Right. Um, <laughs> Genie's out of the bottle. Right. Uh, he is a he is a very both practical, knowledgeable, still lucid, and um, what do I want to say? Sage mm. member of the finance community. So when he says it, uh, there's good reason to put credence behind it. Love it, love it. Uh, what a great message to wrap on here today. And look here, oh Kim Winter is with us here. Great to see you, Kim. Always good. He says to listen over dinner here in Dubai. That's interesting how the time zones work, right? It's lunch here. It's dinner there. Yeah, that is right. Kim, I t- man, Kim's got an um, uh, incredible travel and event schedule coming up. Great to see you, yeah, Kim. Uh, can I just ask a quick question? You can hit me offline, Kim, but between, say, the middle of June and or middle of May and the middle of June, let me know if you're going to be on the European continent. Get y'all hooked up, man. Inter- uh, Wonder Twin Powers activate. Um, okay, folks. 
hopefully you've enjoyed this last hour as much as I have. Uh, appreciate all the great comments, uh, all the, the, the takes. Uh, you've, we've made, I, I've been hungry since we were talking about barbecue in the very front end. So Angela, I'm going to uh, check out some of your expertise you dropped there, but Greg, always a pleasure to knock out the buzz with you. Yeah. Likewise folks, you can come join us on the buzz every Monday, 12 noon Eastern time. You can always check out the replay on supply chain. Now, wherever you get your podcast from. So with all of that said, Hey, take at least one of the many real car loads of nuggets that Greg dropped here today. And Put it into action, right? Deeds, not words, right? Take action. With that said, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.